educators post-pandemic has shed light on how difficult and challenging building and sustaining a positive school climate and culture can be, especially when, as building principals, you receive daily notifications that you have unfilled positions and there are no substitutes to cover. While the local education agencies, also known as LEAs, or school administrators, are ultimately responsible for ensuring all students receive a high-quality education, the role of a building principal is complex and requires wearing many hats. This is the reality that many educational leaders face every single day, no matter what zip code you work in. School administrators are leading teams of educators to shape our future leaders. Today on Patent Pod, we will hear the journey two administrators embraced as they both accepted the role of head building principal in the fall of 2019, pre-pandemic. Welcome to Dr. Bruce Tenor, Program Administrator and Building Principal of the K-6 Intensive Emotional Support Program within the Montgomery County Intermediate Unit located in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Good morning, Dr. Tenor. Good morning, Ashley. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are here to really highlight the role of the building principal and talk a little bit about your program and the work that you've been doing to serve your students. So let's get started by talking a little bit about your experiences and your role as an educator. Kind of, how did you get here? How did you arrive here at the Early Learning Academy? Sure. Um, I started off my career as a teacher. I started at the Allentown School District first year. Uh, worked in the middle school as well as elementary school. Then I went to New Jersey for 10 years to be a teacher. I taught early childhood and also kindergarten. Um, then I went for a master's degree at Centenary University for special education. During my last class, uh, my professor, he kind of guided me to be the, uh, an administrator. I had no, at all, no passion to be a, a school leader. I was just comfortable and I was very happy being in the classroom until my last class and then I had my field work and when I was able to go and collaborate with my superintendent, my supervisor, curriculum instruction, the principal, and I kind of got you know, exposed to um, the interactions and decision-making process. That, when I observed that, I felt like that's when I wanted to be an administrator, knowing that I can make a more of an impact, um, not only in the classroom, but more for school or for a district. So from there, they gave me some leadership opportunities. I was a Section 504 coordinator for two years. And then I also um, had other responsibilities working with the child study team and special education. Uh, from there, I took a position at the Colonial Intermediate 20, where I was a supervisor for autistic support for four years. Um, I did that, uh, and I had elementary K-5. And an opportunity came up in 2019 to be a building principal, because that's when I want to become a leader. I knew I wanted to be a principal. I just had the idea of being an elementary principal working in an elementary building. So an opportunity uh, was presented in regards to being a principal, and I took the opportunity working with intensive emotional support at the Montgomery County Intermediate Unit. So you were a classroom teacher, and you were inspired by your mentor um, and teacher at the time to pursue leadership. 
And so then you kind of transitioned into um, that role of supervisor at the IU-20. Mm -hmm. And now you're here um, at Montgomery County Intermediate Unit. And so you are the head principal. Tell us a little bit more about your program here. Um, tell us a little bit about the students and just the evolution of this program. It, it sounds like there was a lot of change from 2019 until this point. Yeah, sure. So we have um, seven classrooms. We started with three classrooms, about 15 students. So when I first arrived, we had a high number of restraints. We had 90 restraints for only 15, 16 students within the first four days of school. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, collaborating with my staff and my behavior analyst, uh, Christy Camano, and also um, seeking assistance um, from outside consultants as from Patton to really help provide a framework of support um, to really help the students. The students we serve are emotional uh, disturbance. Um, and we also have students with autism here as well, too. So, you know, with uh, being in the classroom and, and looking at the school and seeing what are the needs of the school, we just decided to come and collaborate together and having all sorts of resources to provide for our support for our school. And then over the last four years, we kind of over tripled in size. So we're, we started with 15 students, but now we have over 50 students in our building, and now we're up to seven classrooms. Um, and, and so that's something that for our program that we've done to continue to collaborate with, again, our, our team, and also to um, you know, outside sources to help support our program, to enhance our program as well, too. So in our program, uh, we have, again, kindergarten through sixth grade. We have two kindergarten first grade classrooms. We have two second third grade classrooms, a fourth grade, a fifth, and a sixth grade classroom um, you know, that we provide support for for students. Wow. So your program has grown over the past four years. And you started with 15 students. Now you have 50 students. Um, you have seven classrooms here, and then a variety of supports that you're providing to your students. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your teachers and kind of the training that you've provided to your teachers over the past few years? What are the skills that your teachers, and teachers just now, right now during these challenging times, that they need to, to kind of sustain during these difficult times? First of all, we have wonderful teachers. Uh, I think we have the best teachers, you know, in the state. The, the teachers that, I, that well, we serve here at the MCIU in our ELA building. Um, our, you know, in regards to what teachers, the type of trainings, rather, that, that is required, you know, we have professional development that we offer for our students. I'm um, sorry, for our teachers um, that we provide um, once a month. And also we have half days as well, too. That's provided. So in our presentations, we you know we offer we have a literacy. So we collaborate with um, our OPL department, our Office of Professional Learning, where we provide you know a literacy. We, we're going through our literacy initiative right now. So reading for literacy and also math. Uh, we also have our own behavior analysts providing support for our teachers and as well as our teacher assistants and and personal care assistants. Um, you know behavior analytic uh, principles that we provide supports for reinforcement and also um, for behavior reduction and skill acquisition. Uh, we also collaborate with Patton too over the last few years. They've been providing wonderful consultation uh, in regards to, again, skill acquisition, behavior reduction, and uh, most importantly, our PBIS. Uh, PBIS. Uh, that is where for our framework, where our roar came from, and also to the framework to lay out what does that look like in a building and also what does that look like in the classroom and throughout your whole school. So that kind of collaboration that we've had over the last four years has helped support our teachers. And I think that skills you need um, are going to be really explicit direct instruction to give our students. Our students require um, high level rates of reinforcement and also they really require them to have a uh, 
be provided direct instruction during their literacy and also anything with math as well too. That's some kind of corresponding active student engagement. Those are very important skills you gotta have when you're working in any classroom, specifically in the motion support classroom. Um, and you gotta be compassionate. You have to understand that you know a lot of students come into our school with, with, with unfortunately a lot of uh, a learning history is very challenging. So just being very empathetic, sympathetic, um, being very open-minded and compassionate for the uh, students that we serve is very important. So you talked a little bit about your ROAR expectations. Can you tell our listeners what, what does ROAR stand for and what has that done in regards to like transformation? Because I know when you started, um, we were working together back in 2019, there weren't any universal systems for expectations. So talk to us a little bit about ROAR. What does that stand for? Yeah. So ROAR uh, stands for uh, Respect, Ownership, Attitude, Responsibility. And those are kind of the acronyms that we created as a team um, to really give a framework for the students for expected behaviors and a universal language for the whole school. Um, also, these expectations are, are pretty much are required in every aspect of our school. So whether you're in the bathroom, what does going to the bathroom look like? Uh, if, you, if it's going into the cafeteria, if you're going to the playground, what is the expected behaviors to look like in, within the whole school? And I think that gives a framework for the students who have a history of challenging behaviors in their own school. Um, so it gives them an opportunity, again, to have a set of rules, um, set of expectations, and, then it, and after that, they're able to contact reinforcement more frequently. So when they do um, ex, you know, exemplify expected behaviors, they're able to go out there and have tickets. We have roar tickets that students can accumulate. And with those roar tickets, they're able to go out there and cash out items at the school store. And these are items that um, many of our students um, request. And we have a preference assessment. We assess what they like. And then they're able to purchase items. And also, too, they're also, also able to have privileges as well, too. So if students may not want the items in the store because they're a little bit older, then they're able to go out there and um, have uh, privileges um, as well. We also create something new, a Pokemon club. Uh, for a lot of our students <laughs> and you know a lot of our students are really big into Pokemon So we created a club and they get to earn it based on the expected behaviors based on the criteria that was set within the contract And then that just allows them to go out there and access reinforcement and the students look forward to that, too So those are the things that you know we put in place to really help out you know our students But it, it starts with having a strong um, PBISP and really uh, having the students have a high level of expectation when you're in a school so your ROAR expectations kind of set the foundation mm -hmm. of what's expected in all areas of the building. Mm -hmm. And you were able to teach these expectations mm -hmm. and that's tied to this token economy system mm -hmm. where students cash out mm -hmm. and can earn privileges and rewards. I can't wait to check out this Pokemon mm -hmm. um, club. Mm -hmm. That's something new yeah. um, and recent. Yeah. I know you recognize students' behavior. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about um, how frequently you do that? So I think, is there a student of the month or a student mm -hmm. of the week? Talk yeah. to us a little bit about sure. how you recognize positive behaviors here in school. Absolutely, so for the students who accumulated um, either the most tickets or we take a percentage. So based on your day, um, we have like an interval of your self-monitoring checklist. The self-monitoring checklist is aligned to raw expectations uh, for respect, ownership, attitude, and responsibility. If the students have high numbers, and it's a yes-no criteria. Um, we don't do one, two, three, four Likert scale because it's too vague. It's either yes, did you engage in expected behavior, or no, you did not. Once those are all accumulated, and then from there, we identify the individual with the highest rate, 
and then they get student of the week. And student of the week, you know, we announce it on a loudspeaker, and they're able to get 50 extra roar tickets to cash out the school store. Um, after that, we do student of the month. The student of the month not only does it get 50 extra roar tickets, but we announce it and we put the picture up, but they also have an opportunity to eat lunch with the principal, myself, um, you know, I order pizza, and all the students who um, earned student of the month in each classroom, they're able to go out there and eat lunch with myself. Well, it sounds like a really fun opportunity, yeah. and I know the kids enjoy having time with you. Mm -hmm. um, speaking from experiences being here and working with your students and meeting your staff, there's so many students that you know greet you and ask to spend time with you and want to you know engage with you out at recess or have the opportunity to you know meet with you and talk with you in your office. And so taking it back now to leadership and how you've kind of established this culture and climate, you know your roar expectations. That's kind of your motto at the school, right? Your Panthers mm -hmm. roar. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're very passionate about implementing evidence-based practices. And you once told me this hashtag, mm -hmm. hashtag ABA all day. Yeah. And so when we think about you're leading the building, and the school has these mottos. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about you talked about roar, but now can you talk to us about your mission for evidence-based practices in the school and implementing this hashtag ABA all day. Yeah, so one of the luxury of being a principal, I am a behavior analyst, uh, and I just am very aware that the science of applied behavioral analysis is an effective and evidence-based um, set of principles to really help individuals and shape and change human behavior. So when I say hashtag ABA all day, um, one of the misnomers about applied behavioral analysis is only designed for a particular, you know, um, disability or disorder. And, and again, ABA is for human behavior. It's, it's the significant, making significant social changes and meaningful outcome for all humans and human behavior. So coming in here is just really looking at not only the PBIS uh, framework, but also what other interventions based on the principles of applied behavioral analysis that can be used um, to really help struggling complex learners. So for me, it's just like looking at systems of reinforcement, you know, looking at uh, the delivery of reinforcement from a staff to a student, you know, making sure that you're not inadvertently reinforcing inappropriate behaviors by things you may say or do to students. So looking at it from a system-wide, how can we use a science to really change and shape human behaviors and making sure it's effective? And I, I believe 100% this is why we saw the significant shift in restraint reduction from 90 in the first 40 days to, I mean, there's been almost a year back in, I think, 21 to 22 where um, we haven't had any in about eight, nine months um, and barely cracked double digits uh, as we tripled the number of size of students. And that's because of the science, really understanding effective instruction, explicit instruction, behavior reduction, systems of reinforcement, token economy systems, really individualizing each student's um, behavior plan to really fit their needs. And that's why I believe this program has been very successful. So implementing evidence-based practices has transformed this building, mm -hmm. and you have grown so much as an administrator over these past few years. Can you talk to us and tell the field, you know, what are the skills that administrators need to have during these challenging times? I think it's very, it's very important that, I, I think collaboration is very important. Like you have to collaborate with other administrators or other outside supports to really, um, help support any needs that you, your building may have. I think, again, you have to be compassionate, you have to be open-minded, you have to be really humble, I believe, too, in the sense of, you know, you don't have to feel the pressure of doing everything yourself. Reach out to folks um, who may be expert in specific areas that your building 
um, is struggling in. And I think that's very important. But also just a, a, a strong awareness of programming. You have to, I really believe as an administrator, you don't have to be an expert in everything, but just be aware of what the needs are and then reach out for support and, and garner the level of support to really help support any kind of program that needs you know, attention. So you've been able to collaborate within your IU. You've yeah. reached out. We've had this opportunity to collaborate. Mm -hmm. You've worked alongside your team here with your teachers. Um, you've come up with some really innovative ways to provide training. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you provide support and training yeah. um, to your teachers? Yeah, sure. So for us, again, we, we have a behavior analyst that are able to go out there and provide training. So. Per month, we, we just look at the data. What is the data telling us in regards to where we're seeing some shifts in whether staff or student behaviors? If we see an uptick in restraints or we see certain things that maybe staff can do a little bit better. And then from there, we'll just start tailoring trainings contingent upon what we identify uh, monthly. Also too, proactively and thinking like the big picture would be like for, again, um, our literacy initiative that we're implementing um, to really for helping our students become better and fluent readers. Um, working with the OPL department here at the MCIU, um, just getting uh, support for literacy and also for math trainings to get our staff uh, supported and just for the instruction. Um, and most importantly, uh, I, I think, you know, working, collaborating, you know, with our folks from the patent office um, to provide a lot of resources, a lot of supports uh, in regards to behavioral um, support, um, academic support, and just, again, putting together the PBIS uh, framework and continues with that push uh, to really enhance in any, again, any, any support um, or any gaps in what we're trying to create, you know, they're there to provide support. So that's, that's all the trainings that our, our staff is getting to really enhance our program is being provided. So, you know, kudos to, again, um, you know, the folks within our own building, um, the MCIU for the OPL department, as well as our folks from Patent to all providing that level of support. And that's why I'm going back to what I said earlier about collaboration. That is the most critical thing. You have to utilize the resources available to really help your building or your district out. So you um, have shared just the way that you've collaborated and really, you know, built this program. But one thing I want to go back to that I have observed when I've been here on site is that you are in classrooms working with teachers alongside of teachers. You are running instructional mm -hmm. groups. Mm -hmm. You have students requesting um, mm -hmm. to work one-on-one -on -one with you. And so I want you to come back and tell our listeners a little bit more about how you provide supervision and support to your teachers mm -hmm. because I don't see you ever sitting down, and I never see you take a drink of water or, you know, working on your computer or your laptop. Yeah. You are so hands-on and engaged in the instruction that's happening during the day. So right. talk a little bit about how you provide support and feedback in the classroom. Well, the luxury of this program is that, you know, we are small enough that I'm able to do that. So that is uh, one of the perks. Uh, and because we're small enough, I am can be able to be more hands-on. But just really going out there and just really supporting staff. I. For, for leadership, I think it's very critical that when administrators are in the classroom, uh, I don't want my teachers or any teachers to feel like, you know, they're getting watched or something's bad happening. No, it's, I'm in here for, for support. And we're here to provide a level of support, uh, whether instructional practices or behavior reduction, but just here to collaborate, just observe the good things you're doing and reinforce those good things that the teacher's doing. And if there's anything that was missed or could have done a little bit better, we have that conversation. Um, I do think, you know, um, when I do formal observations, when I'm observing, I think it's very critical for leadership to like really get that feedback right away. And again, 
depending on the nature of your size of your school and the complexity of your school, some administrators may not be able to have that luxury, but here we do. But I always recommend that give feedback right away. Because if something was done uh, you know, in, in a wonderful manner, you want to praise that teacher and let them know. If something could have been you know, tweaked or altered or could have been done a little bit better, have that conversation right away because they'll remember that if you wait a week or two, um, which we, you know, we, I, don't, I don't do, but if you wait too long, they may forget what happened and try to correct it. So I just think immediate feedback, correct the feedback immediately, and then also if something is done well, just praise them because it, it feels good when you're doing good things and you're doing things the right way. It makes teachers just reinforce their behaviors and continuously continue to do a wonderful job. Yeah. Well, you uh, hit on that feedback piece as being really critical and being able to build um, those relationships with your teams because you're in the classroom. And so you know their strengths. You know areas maybe that they need extra support. And you're able to go in, give them feedback in the moment, and also identify areas that they might need additional training, and that could be individualized, or it may be areas that are common that can be addressed in you know, uh, school-wide training. So I know this program has grown, Bruce, um, over the past few years. Talk to us a little bit about you know, your retention of your staff, because you've grown, so you've added classrooms, mm. but over these past few years, I haven't seen you, you know, lose many staff. And mm -hmm. so what is it that you're doing here that you're able to maintain and retain the individuals that you've had um, since the beginning in 2019? Yeah. So the th three teachers we originally had are still here with us, and we've added four more teachers. Um, you know, f for our staff, I really believe that, um, you know, tr when staff are well-trained and when staff are supported, and they see the progress students are making, they're, they're less likely to want to leave. You know, many, you know, there's monetary reasons why people leave, which is fine, they have to do what's best for their families. But for the most part, if folks feel supported, they feel well-trained, and they see they're making a difference, that can be equally or more reinforcing than anything else. And I think that's what kept our teachers here. I mean, obviously for teacher assistance, there's various reasons, variables that you know, folks leave. Um, it could be closer to home, or it could be you know, things with their family, which is fine. But for the most part, our core team and our core staff has remained here, which I think is a testimony to like, the support of our team, um, also getting trained again, and also feeling supported. And, they, and the, the level of collaboration that we have amongst each other within the building, and also folks from outside of the building to support all that collaboration and training support gives that family feel and also feel, um, makes the staff feel supported. And also, when students are making progress, they want to stay. So students are successful, yes. and when students are successful, teachers are successful, and vice versa. Correct. So when you're able to provide feedback and, mm. and coach your team, and they're able to provide instruction that's making a meaningful dis difference for students, mm. then those students are successful, and again, staff are successful, mm. which leads to success for you as an administrator. So sure. If you were going to give any piece of feedback to any new um, administrators or any educators out there that are really looking at kind of stepping into a leadership role, what would be some of the things or what would be the advice that you would give? Is there any specific area that you would, 
you know, recommend like get some training in this area or mm. study this or what would be that, you know, feedback that you would give to them mm. um, as they kind of decide, you know, do I want to be a leader or do I want to stay in the classroom? Maybe they're kind of toying with that decision. Yeah, I just say what's your passion? If your passion is to help support and lead and remember what leadership is, leadership doesn't mean that you are a individual who's just calling shots. That's not a leader. That's just an individual who likes to, you know, tell individual what to do. It's leadership is you're going into the field to really help the bigger picture and help children, help teachers. So if that's what a school leadership position is, then that's what your passion is and then you go. And then just evaluate what do you want to do, uh, whether it's elementary, secondary, or whether it's a, a specific um, disability category you want to support. As leadership, identify what you're passionate about and then if you do go that route, it's making sure that you collaborate with a lot of folks and a collaborate uh, with your team to find out if this is where you want to go, you know, what direction you want to go, and also what are the needs of the place or the building or the program or the school district that needs support. And ask yourself, am I willing or am I able to go out there and provide support? And if you feel you are, you definitely go. And if you get the position, again, first year, always listen, observe, collaborate, get the feel of the culture. And then from there, then that's when you address and you support what's needed for, uh, for your district or for your building. So serving others is kind of the takeaway. 100%. And collaborating with other experts, yeah. seeking yeah. to get to know the needs, yeah. and then really putting your whole heart into serving others and making a difference. Correct, yeah. So you've been such a mentor to me throughout our time. I know we knew each other prior to collaborating, and so I've had a lot of opportunities to get to know you, and I think what really has stood out during our time here together has been just how passionate you are about making a difference in students' lives and teachers' lives and providing evidence-based practices. And so I just want to thank you for your dedication and just how much of an impact you've made um, with your students. Um, yeah. It's just been such an honor to work alongside you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ashley. I appreciate it. But I also want to thank you and all the folks from, you know, from the patent office because what, you, what you've done for, to support our building, but also more importantly for the whole state over the years upon years has been nothing short of um, amazing. And I just want to appreciate you. And I just want to say thank you and I appreciate the work that you've done. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about special education leadership and effective instructional practices, check out the patent website. Again, I want to thank Dr. Bruce Tenor for joining us today. And a very special thank you to Mr. John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. Viewers and listeners, I hope you'll join me next time on Patent Pod.